I haven't traveled and done, you know, face-to-face interviews in a while, and that used to be my thing. I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today, I'm excited to interview my friend, Dr. Brad Johnson, who is the Vice President for Community College Relations at West Texas A&M. Thanks for being on the show, Brad. Good morning, Annette. Thanks for having me. You bet. Tell the listeners about you, your history, kind of. Well, as a, a college administrator, it's probably a little bit of an unusual background. I I spent the first part of my professional career, about 13 years, as a psychotherapist in private practice. I remember that. uh, And that was um, an unusually good preparation for much of what I have done since, in that uh, I I had the opportunity over those years to work with people on the things that were really important to them at that moment and uh, come to get a sense of how much... Um, the people element becomes the critical piece when we're trying to do something. Whereas we, we talk about policy a lot and we talk about budget and we talk about strategy, uh, but it often comes down to the people involved um, uh, in terms of determining whether something is successful in the end or not. So I, I spent about 13 years doing that and then kind of in desperation took uh, a job at Amarillo College, a, a nine-month appointment um, on a grant um, because I knew that I didn't want to do counseling anymore, but I couldn't figure out what else people would pay you to do with a master's in counseling. <laughs> so uh, I, I took a position there thinking I would cool my heels for a year and kind of figure it out. And I absolutely fell in love with the mission of community college and realized what a tremendous uh privilege it is to be able to work in that sector where um, you're working with people who have uh, amazing potential, but who are likely not to see much return on that without the extra help and support and access that a community college education gives them. And so I stayed and uh, I, I remained at Amarillo College for the next 13 years held various roles up to and including vice president um, there. And then my children were grown. My wife and I decided we were up for an adventure. And uh, so I took a position as president of Northeast Texas Community College in Mount Pleasant, Mm -hmm. a school that I hadn't even heard of (laughs) previous to finding the job posting. Uh, We moved over there and it was was a wonderful 10-year experience. Uh, and then, at uh, much closer to now, um, I have uh, parents who I'm fortunate are still with me, but they're in their mid-80s, and we knew that we really needed to find a way to get back together. I also knew professionally that um, it was important to that college that I move on and there be fresh ideas and fresh leadership there after the 10 years that I'd been there. And so those two things kind of pushed me to look for an opportunity. And when Dr. Wendler began to lay out his desire that WT would become the most transfer-friendly university in Texas, uh, it just kind of 
brought uh, those two things together. So I came about four years ago uh, to this role here at WT. That's great. So you mentioned um, the importance of the relationship and the individual from the beginning. And I think that's key to the work that, that we do here in, in the higher ed communities and all education. Because we talk a lot about statistics and numbers and all those kind of things, but those numbers are really people. That's and they're right. students whose lives may not be as rosy as we'd like them to be. And they have a lot of challenges. Um, I mean, you and I have worked together through through your when you were at Amarillo College uh, in Panhandle 2020 work and improving educational attainment here. So we go back a ways. And, and you were on the board of Panhandle 2020 and, and helped implement a number of the things that, you know, that we've been involved in. Has WT implemented very many efforts around that as far as, you know, just making sure the students that you have, the low-income students who have challenges, have resources and access to things that 20 years ago you wouldn't have done? WT, along with, I think, the, the rest of the regionals in Texas, um, it comes from, come from different roots, backgrounds, and have a, have a different understanding of their mission. It's, it's a, um, I, would, I would say the community colleges have a rescue um, mentality in the way that um, they think about their work, okay? Um, universities see themselves more in, in the sense of a finishing school, taking people who, who have momentum and preparation and finishing that off and connecting them to professions. So uh, you, you start with a different sort of expectation about what that work is going to look like. Having said that, WT, just as AC had in the early days that I was there, um, has a culture of caring at the level of the individuals. And so our faculty have a long history of, of picking, scooping up students and finding ways to help them overcome things. It's not as formalized within the organization as it is in the community college movement. But um, it can be every bit as effective because in many cases, even um, bureaucratized processes still suffer if the individuals involved don't roll up their sleeves and, and get yeah. involved. Absolutely. And I know that, that you're president of T, Dr. Walter Windler, has has gone around. When he first came here, he went to every high school in the Panhandle. I think he's doing another visit round. And I think you talk about your role with community college relations. Well, so um, we've been been chewing on this and working on on the transfer piece. Let me be define that just real quickly to say that while um, roughly half of many of the community colleges students um, indicate by their choice of major that they intend to earn a bachelor's degree. 
the, the percentage who actually jump from the community college to the university is far um, lower than that. And, and so when we talk about the transfer problem, oftentimes that's what we're referring to is we're saying, you come to us saying you want a bachelor's degree, but only half of you move on to the university. What's, what's the problem there? Uh, which I think is something I'd like to chat with you about this morning because I think even defining that as a problem might be something that we ought to reconsider. But in that four-year period of time, WT has worked really hard to remove a lot of the bureaucratic barriers. Um, and we've, we've done that um, pretty effectively. So I'll give you the, my favorite example because everybody can understand it real quickly. Um, when I got here, if you were a community college student, you could have a transfer scholarship uh, if your grades were strong enough. But you had to apply for that scholarship in February if you were coming in August. And I knew, uh, and all of those working in community college know, that most community college students don't decide what they're going to do the next semester until in about a month before school starts. They're wrapped up in their daily lives, and they make one, one foot ahead of the other, not five steps ahead. And so we just said, well, why do we have to know in February? If we are going to give it to you, if you've earned it, when will we find out? When you send us your transcript. So let's just give it to you when we have your transcript. You don't have to apply separately for it. Get rid of that barrier. So we worked through a, a number of those kinds of things. However, we realized, and especially Dr. Wendler realized, that what we had not done was to go out broadly and widely and see what people in other parts of the state are doing, particularly in areas where the universities and community colleges coexist. We, we, in the panhandle, we're somewhat isolated. And so um, he asked me to visit each of the community college CEOs across Texas, and that's what I'm uh, about a third of the way of through. Those. Yes. <laughs> And so far, it's just been very enlightening to see areas that uh, maybe aren't nearly as progressive as, uh, as WT and our community college partners, but finding a number of areas in the state that um, have really been working very diligently on this and are probably well ahead of us. Let's talk a little bit numbers. So when I first came on the board at Amarillo College, I really didn't realize how low the community college completion rate was. And while we have improved it phenomenally uh, over the past six, seven years and are, are, are doing great there, we're not doing as great as we'd like to. I mean, no, no colleges. And, um, and when you, they further complicate things by saying, a, you know, a student success is measured not only by completion, but there's, you know, four, four things that they can get a success point on. So while our success rate may be 60%, that may not be 60 out of 100 students completing. It may be 30 or 40 out of 100 who get, you know, one, two or more points of those success points. And 
I've even had to educate folks who work at the state level about that. And it's like, no, look right here in the higher ed almanac. It, it defines it. They're like, really? Um, so it's, it's a little confusing to the public as well as to those of us who are on governance boards around. But, but where, I mean, so four-year institutions, four-year universities and community colleges are really kind of different entities. Now we, you know, we're doing our best to work together and have here for some years. But our funding structure is completely different. Our, our uh, probably our success points or success measures, metrics that the state looks at are completely different. Would you tell me what the university's success metrics are? Well, first of all, in, in Texas, the universities don't have funding tied to something like the success points. So um, that that way of thinking about it is is very traditional in the universities. It's the six-year graduation rate of their f- incoming freshman cohort. For our purposes in talking about transfer, that leaves these students completely out of the discussion. And so that's been part of the efforts that Dr. Wendler has been making here in the university is trying to say, if you are focused so much on your six-year graduation rate of your first-time, full-time freshman students, but you look at your 10,000-student body and find out that only resembles about 1,500 of the, of the total each year, um, you start realizing you're not really talking about where most of your students live and, and what their experience is like. So most of your students are transfers then? W- roughly half of our student of our new students each year are transfers, and the other half are first time in college. And then, of course, if you think about that, after their um, af- after their sophomore year, again using the traditional persistence measure, you're not measuring persistence. You measure. The state has traditionally been interested in their freshman persistence rate. So that that first-time freshman, how many of them made it to their sophomore year? We're interested in how many of them graduate. Um, and we're also interested in trying to figure out how you really measure that in a way that respects their individual path. So the, the state's perspective is that students are put on an assembly line. They go through a pattern that's supposed to be predictable. If they start at the community college, they're there two years, and then they move on to the university where they finish in two years. And if you've done that, you get you get all the check boxes, you know, good job. But the fact of the matter is that with dual credit, Many of the students don't spend two years at the community college. They spend a year, year and a half because they came in with a lot of credit. The freshmen who show up on our doorstep are showing up with about two-thirds of their freshman year complete because of dual credit. So that right away messes with that nice little neat module. Secondly, the vast majority of our students work, many of them full-time, which means that they they go a semester or two and they take uh, 12 hours and then they take nine hours and then they have a baby and they go away and they come back. But when they go away to have that baby, they fall out of our metrics. And so 
Um, I really prefer what Clifford Edelman at the Department of Ed did a number of years ago when he started looking at this issue of completion in community colleges. And he did, he did a transcript study, which is the most um, powerful way to look at this because it, it's one student at a time looking at gathering all their transcripts from er everywhere they went and determine what their ultimate outcome was. And his conclusion of that massive study was that if you took a 12-year window, community college students finish at the same rate as, you know, as students who start at the university. Okay? But it's a 12-year window. There's a reason why it takes them a long time. Same thing is increasingly true for university students, students who start here. It's, it's taking them longer, and it's not always that the system is somehow broken. It's that our lives are complicated, and yet these rather simplistic metrics aren't very good at adjusting for those complications. Not only that, but the cost of education just in the time we've been working on this in the community has gone. I mean, when they deregulated tuition in 2003 and the state lowered its share of funding for the universities, uh, it's skyrocketed. And it's, it's you know, when, when I went to tech and, you know, worked and, you know, worked on campus and paid for my own, you know, tuition... You can't do that these days, and the costs have just really escalated. So, I mean, that's got to be a factor as well. So let's go back. You want to talk transfer. So tell me, tell me what you want to talk about with transfer. So we're at Amarillo College. I know that y'all have somebody in our in our student services area from West Texas A&M to work with our students who want to transfer to A&M. And, and that's, that's been one of those things that's grown out of the collaborations we've done. And I think that's a wonderful example of things a university can do to help improve the transfer. But what are, what are the challenges for a transfer? I know that's used to some of the things that community college would teach wouldn't be accepted at universities. And I think we've done a good job of creating better, you know, acceptance rates and modifying anything that needed to be modified so that they would be useful credits instead of just more credits that student paid for but didn't count towards their degree. So talk about transfer. I'm a, I'm a student. I'm in community college. It's taken me three years to get my associates uh, or, you know, to the transfer point. What do I do and what are my challenges? So the, the process for uh, transfer students is, uh, has improved some, um, could improve more as universities begin to incorporate a lot of the business practices that people are accustomed to in their normal life. So if you think about doing business with uh, your bank or with Amazon or Walmart, you, you have a lot of um, technologically based capabilities that make it easy. 
the universities are just like the community colleges. Honestly, all of us in higher ed are trying to learn how to incorporate those those processes. And because we're regulated by everybody, from our accreditors to the state of Texas to the federal government, it's not as easy to um, build those straightforward systems as people think it should be. Uh, you are you're really serving various masters in terms of um, of trying to come up with a bureaucratic process that gathers the information you need, verifies it in the way that somebody else is going to hold you to account, but makes it make sense for students. For community college students who have often interacted with institutions that are um, used to meeting them on Wednesday and enrolling them on Friday and putting them in class on Monday, um, this is very strange to university. University is used to students applying in the fall, being accepted in the spring, enrolling in May, and showing up in August. It's, it's, a, it's a very different uh, mentality. Line, yeah. So that's, that's an issue for transfer students. But I think w I, we had an opportunity to visit um, uh, with several of the CEOs in Central Texas this last week. And it was interesting to me how often their staff, as we were talking about this, talked about the intimidation factor that their students felt when they stepped on a university campus that, um, uh, and they said over and over again, they said, in this particular instance, it's the same process the student goes through every semester with the community college, but it felt completely different for many of these community college students. Many of our students don't either feel, don't even feel like they belong on community college campus, and then, you know, a university scares them. I mean, I had two young ladies from AC who had both done well and were planning to transfer and did transfer to WT, but they were petrified. So I emailed Wade Schaefer here and said, hey, would you like talk to these folks and kind of make them comfortable? And I think they came over individually maybe and, and he showed them around and it really helped. And so... <laughs> You guys are people too, you know. That's and, exactly and, right. And folks are, I mean, so many of our students are are scared, but it's reassuring to know that, you know, that the university people will step up and help. It's the system that scares them, the bureaucracy. I think. Well, I I, I think that can be intimidating. I think there is just kind of an expectation in our culture of the ivory tower mm -hmm. that is intimidating. Just in a broad general sense. Uh, and I'm not completely sure that that's a bad thing. One of the things that's interesting to me, Annette, is that as we have removed money as the barrier, and frankly, money has not been our barrier for a while, the, the amount of federal aid and scholarship dollars now available to students, if they choose the right institution for them, um, it, it does not need to be a barrier anymore. WT, you can come and get a bachelor's degree for about twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. You spent more than that on your car, so 
Um, and the degree does a whole lot more for you in terms of earning power and, and um, so on and so forth than your car does. So it, but we continue to think of the barrier as money. The fact of the matter is there's a value attached to that experience and to that degree that, that is part of why we are so committed to getting these students through and a degree, and that is we know it will change their life. If you give it to them, I'm not sure they're getting the same thing. They're, they're, uh, when you go to boot camp, they scare the ever-living daylights out of you before you get started. You end up at the end and you go dust off your pants and you go, wow, you know, we, we sweated. Yeah. But I did it. Yeah. And so uh, we do need to support but we don't need to tell people it isn't a, a um, thing that takes work and effort and dedication and sacrifice. It does, and it's worth it. Absolutely. So how can we make transfer better? Because you said we've made it better, but we can still do more to improve it. Well, I think one of the things that we're working on really hard at WT is to say there is a geographic um, reality around access. Um, when I got here, the university's thinking was that that geographic access, meaning I live in Dalhart or I live in Dumas and I don't have a, uh, access to a bachelor's degree on the ground here, that we had overcome it as we deployed some of the best online undergraduate degrees in the state. And, and that is true, but I believe we've realized it's only a part of the answer because those students in those communities have had access to a variety of online degrees for quite some time, and they have not been going to school. Um, they go as far as the community college can take them in that community. Um, but we, in partnering with the community colleges, are trying to figure out ways to bring the bachelor's degree to those communities themselves. Um, and it's too early for me to tell you that it's working. Um, I can give you anecdotes of, of uh, you know, groups of people in these communities who are beginning their bachelor's degree and they weren't before we started um, this kind of hybrid partnership with the community colleges. But, uh, but in terms of moving the needle broadly, that remains to be seen. But let me tell you one story, if you don't mind. Sure. So there's a lot of buzz around what has been happening in Roscoe, Texas. Roscoe is a, right. is a tiny community, and but they've been trying to build a model uh, of education that would serve very small rural areas. And uh, we became their undergraduate partner um, uh, three and a half, four years ago, trying to figure out how can you bring bachelor's degrees to a community that small where you may be dealing with as few as five to seven students a, a year. That's a very difficult thing for universities to cope with. Is, is We need a certain scale to be able to function. Um, 
And so we have found that through using our online degree capability with the school district's energetic um, investment in those young people, the ones who were prepared for college when they graduated from high school but didn't leave the community. Those are the ones that we're trying to focus on. No, they're a PTIP campus there. They are. They? they are now. That's yeah. part of their deal, but yeah. it wasn't where they started because PTEC didn't exist when they started yeah. in that. Um, anyway, long story short, we've, we've done that with Western Texas College and uh, Roscoe Collegiate Academy and WT three cohorts now. The first cohort had seven students. All seven have completed their bachelor's degree. Five of the seven graduated with honors. Two of them are now in graduate school. The next cohort had five students. All five are either are still in or have graduated now. Um, and they have a two-year window to do that in. They've all been within their two-year window. Um, we'll see. I haven't gotten the numbers on the latest cohort, but we haven't lost a student yet in that operation. I can tell you, we don't have that kind of retention rate in online degrees in general. Uh, in fact, generally speaking, online degrees nationwide have pretty bad retention rates. But what's different here is you have three institutions all sharing a commitment of making sure that those students are on track and supported. So the kind of support that it took those Roscoe students to get out of high school has continued to be provided in the community in the community without them leaving the community. So now you have, for example, one of our early graduates who's about to finish her master's in social work who will be in social work in that community as a member of that community, but now as a professional. So it's a, it's showing the power of place and people in the model. Not enough to say, well, I can give you the online degree. You've got to have somebody outside of that family unit who is still invested and sees them at the grocery store and says, you know, how's it going? What's interesting beyond that is we've had five adults who had dropped out of college living in that community who have now come back and said, I think I want to go back to school too. And they're using the same uh, general support model. That's great. So it's a it's an interesting model. It's one we want to put in every place where the community colleges have a a local uh, commitment. So we're talking, for example, with Dumas and with Hereford in the Amarillo College mm -hmm. District about creating these cohorts where they can honestly say to their community, "We're providing you access to bachelor's degrees right here." Right with a university that you know and are familiar with, but but we're not backing. This isn't a handoff anymore. This isn't uh, Daniel in Hereford saying, okay, we've finished our two years, and now I'm handing you off to WD. No, he, he still has an investment in seeing those students until they complete their bachelor's degree. Do they do it at the AC campus there? Or, or will, I mean, maybe you aren't there yet, but. Well, so we were we were ready to move forward on this with localized groups, and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. So we are we're um, resetting that uh, with the Panhandle Community Colleges now, and in fact, 
we'll be having a meeting in October to try to begin to formalize that. Great. What have we not talked about? Yeah. We need to talk about it. <laughs> well, I, w- I would like to go back to something I think I mentioned to you before um, we started our recorded discussion this morning. When people say the problem of transfer, um, I believe there's a, a significant slice of that that shouldn't be seen as a problem. If a, if a person says, I want a bachelor's degree when they're 18 years old, and then they earn their associate degree, but they go to work somewhere for several years, um, is that a failure? Not necessarily. Uh, there are very good careers that, for which you are better suited having an associate degree and experience than a bachelor's degree. But you also will continue to grow. And so you may decide in your 30s that now you want and need an opportunity. And the glory of our system in America is if that's right for you in your 30s, go to school, finish yeah. your degree. But when we get involved in our reform efforts, we oftentimes set these metrics and these expectations about how people are supposed to behave. And then we spend a whole lot of time working on our problem. Which may not be a problem. Which may not be a problem at all. That 12-year window taught me something because we had never thought about it as community college students finish just as frequently as as uh, those who start at the university. But Edelman said, yes, they do. They finish just as frequently. Show notes about that. It's it's an old study now, but it was very powerful. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, and are there other questions or problems that really aren't problems that we're looking at as problems? Well, boy, that's a (laughs) good rhetorical question. (laughs) Wide open question. I think oftentimes those of us in institutions overestimate the significance of what we're working on as opposed to the what is under the student's control. Yeah. Um, students have ultimate responsibility for these things. And they, they um, I think, experience in all kinds of realms have taught us that if you if you do too much for a person, their motivation level actually begins to to decline in the equation. So finding that sweet spot between support on the one hand and personal responsibility on the other is, I think, a very important thing for leaders in higher ed to struggle with. And parents. <laughs> and parents. Well said. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, for sure. Talk about just overview of WT. You're You've been known historically as, you know, well, you were West Texas State, and um, now you're one of, is it the regional branch that you're called of West I, of we, we call um, the non-flagship institutions, right. we call them regional. And how many regional? Well, there are 11 within the system as a whole, so I assume that means 10 of them are regionals and then College Station. Okay. I know it's a very powerful, you know, relationship for A&M, Texas A&M, to be part of, of our region as well. But you're, you've typically been a four-year institution. You've now, in the past some years, added some graduate-level courses or graduate degrees, correct? 
Well, I would say it a little different. We've been a master's granting institution yes, forever, and now we've added level. doctorates. Doctorate yes, and you have doctorates available in education and yeah, education else? and agriculture. Agriculture. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And you have how many students? More, um, more depending on the on the year, we're fluctuating right around between ninety seven hundred and a little over ten thousand. Great. Well, it's a wonderful resource for our community. Um, I mean, for our region and, and for folks outside our region. I know that some of your population doesn't come from anywhere near here. Some of them are international as well. And I don't know if that continued during COVID or not. But Well, it was, it was made more difficult. But I do have a number on that that you might find interesting. I looked at the number of different schools that we accepted credit for. This, I looked at it maybe three years ago, 211 different institutions. Wow. West Texas A&M accepted transfer students and transfer credit from 211 different institutions. So people are much more mobile than we oftentimes realize mm -hmm. these days. Well, I'm sure you have wonderful student stories. I mean, I've read them in, you know, in our work and in a lot of the things y'all send out because I, I get your email missives. And uh, I just appreciate the work that you and, and your compatriots do here to try to, you know, help us improve educational attainment because that's what we're all about or have been about for a long time. Thank you, Annette. I really appreciate all the work. You've been a, an advocate for education for many, many years, and, uh, and I think that has helped focus attention on a lot of these issues. Well... I've had a lot of opportunities in my life, and I'm just trying to bring more opportunity to the students in our, and families in our, in our region and beyond because, you know, a lot of the work we've done here has been amplified across not just Texas but the nation. So uh, let's keep that up. Very good. Thanks for being on my podcast, Brad. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening to Annette on education.